Um, first, I want to say thank you for not saying anything about my black eye. I don't know if you noticed, but <laughs> it's, it doesn't re- over left. I think it's yeah. this one, just a little. Yeah, yeah. It's starting to fade away a little oh, bit. Oh, okay. Well, I hope you didn't have a disagreement with somebody over a piece of uh, fake news or false narrative. Uh, no, it was, no, not this time, <laughs> I will say. Uh, it was at training. Um, I train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, okay. And um, I took a lot of time off. I was gone for like a month or just, um, I was injured, so I took some time off. And then, for, of course, first day back, I get a black eye. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not fun. And from a practicing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. Are you a Cobra Kai fan? I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. You've never watched Cobra Kai? I've never watched it. Oh, Chris. Chris. Chris, you've got to put it on your to-do list. It literally is the same person, you know, who starred in The Karate Kid, you know, and it, all acting today and very creative. Very cre- It's almost like a cartoon, though. It's a little with the karate and the high school students. It's almost like a, you're watching a real cartoon, but uh, it's very good. Yeah, Where, it's very good. Is that on YouTube? I think it's Netflix. Oh, Netflix. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's it's going strong. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Still getting renewed. You know, they're still making it. They're still but, making it. And I think, uh, I think because of the characters... Um, you want to believe that they're believable. Yeah. Well, I remember I have seen, you know, the movies. It's been a while, but yeah, the movies were legendary. Oh, legendary. Yeah. So this Very is a good. whole franchise. This is a whole brand now of Cobra Kai. Yeah. Now I got to watch so, this series. Yeah. Jeez. Well, um, really quick, uh, welcome everybody. My name is Chris. This is Chitash, and today I am joined by... A guest, author of Bias is All Around You, Dr. Eric Bean. Yes. <laughs> is, for the very virtue of my doctorate of education degree. So nice. just, I like to tell everybody, um, just like Jill Biden. Oh, okay. Because yeah. yeah. she is a psychologist? She has, a, she has a doctorate in education, and oh, she's a community okay. college instructor. And uh, there was a little debate uh, during the 2020 election where people thought that uh, she didn't have any right to use her doctor name for only because it's it's not a medical degree it's a philosophical degree mm-hmm. so but yeah that's the degree I have <laughs> is, is is that a big like point of contention with people like oh it, you're you should only use doctor if you're like an MD or a DO you know I I think yeah, most people there are there are people who don't use the designation. Um, I basically only use it maybe for my students. Uh, you know, my next door neighbor knows me as Eric. So, uh, but I think if you have the uh, if you worked hard for the degree, uh, whether it's a philosophical one, uh, you should be proud of it. Um, but you know, uh, PhD sometimes uh, has been called uh, piled high and deep. And we don't want anybody to be piled high and deep. So, um, I've never heard that yeah. before. Wow, <laughs> is that like piled high and deep and like? I guess intellectualism. Oh, okay. right, right. <laughs> so, um, but uh, no, and you know, anybody that earns a doctorate degree, you're just really earning it in one specific area that you become very knowledgeable on. You know, whether it's education. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, counselors, who was one of my counselors where I earned my doctorate degree, mm-hmm. she was earning her PhD in the French horn. Wow. So she was a doctor of the French horn. Okay. Uh, wow. And uh, I guess you could be a doctor of anything now. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I it wish. Pretty cool. I wish I was musically inclined to have that level of skill at something in music. I don't have a musical bone in my body, though. I'm right behind you. Really? Yeah. No, I, I'm told I can't sing in tune, but uh, at least I enjoy the rhythm. Yeah. No, yeah. I still, <laughs> you know, I I love music. I listen to mostly hip-hop, but I like a little bit of everything, though. Don't mind country. Don't mind rock and roll. But if you ask me to play, like a guitar, 
piano, what have you. Ah, yeah, it's it's ah. another language. There's no no doubt. Yeah, you know, and uh, but I wish there was more folk music today because, um, you know, I think we'd be debating some of these controversial issues that are circling all over the internet, and uh, I think they'd be weaved into our contemporary music. But for some reason, some of these artists seem to be missing the cue. Uh, I'm waiting for the disinformation song or the in. Uh, misinformation song uh, and uh, but so if anybody's listening uh, maybe you'll take up the cause <laughs> just making an like an entire album around that theme that whole theme yeah wouldn't yeah. that be yeah that would be the way to do it you do like uh, seven to ten tracks build it around false narratives uh, build it around fallacies uh, build it around um, you know, the algorithms that uh, control our lives now. So, and that's, of course, many of the subjects that my book talks about. Yeah. I And really quick to stay on that, um, I found this really interesting as music has changed, like, over, I mean, it seems like it's changed really fast even since I was young, but even on a longer time span since that, I've heard somebody say it like this, now artists aren't making albums they're making singles for playlists to go with uh, what you were saying with the algorithm so they are making music to get on spotify playlists apple playlists and the dynamic dynamic is kind of changing where yes i i used to really like an album with a central theme flows really nicely but now it doesn't feel the same because I, because th- they're making the music to get on the playlist because that's where people are listening to them on. They're not going to their album. They're going to you know, stuff I listen to like Rap Caviar or Top Forty on Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Well, so. you know, we all need to be where the party is. You know, and wherever the party is, uh, that's where the information goes. And you know, it's like a super highway, and there's good information and there's bad information. And so wherever the party is, there's going to be more information, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think of uh, social media like TikTok today. Uh, I know why they have a very powerful tool, because you can uh, basically scroll through hundreds, thousands of different opinions uh, and, and to see what's happening all over the world today. Uh, but we don't know what that does to people. Um, you know, uh, you'll see highs, you'll see lows. You'll see celebrations. It's so unfiltered, Chris, that um, I think they'll be studying it for many years to come. So, but uh, I understand free speech, but, uh, and again, there's pros and cons, but uh, we'll talk more about that along with the book. Yeah. Uh, But the problem is, is that there's nobody sort of watching over all of this, all this, this melting pot of boiling information. Uh, and again, there's a lot of good stuff out there. You know, I can go on TikTok and I can find uh, a hack that I never knew before, you know, for my computer, yeah. for my home. Cooking. Oh, anything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You mm-hmm. know, I, I could go on there and find out how to secure myself uh, in Google so Google doesn't know what I'm doing. Um, just elixirs, elixir. But there's also very shocking material in TikTok. Yeah very shocking material you know you see animals being born you see animals fighting and dying uh you could be scrolling and somebody could be uh videotaping um their cancer mm-hmm. um and so it's, it's it's a powerful tool and i don't think we want to go backwards but uh there's this is where people i think our mental health can be affected if we're not mature enough to understand uh, all the information in front of us. No, I, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Getting, getting into your book uh, really quick. What was, what was kind of the spark? Was there a spark before uh, writing the book? Yes. No, there was, um, you know, for years I had been teaching, uh, English composition at the college level, uh, also in dual enrollment high school with Wayne County community college, uh, online, on ground, uh, also uh, in other uh, for other schools too, 
uh, as well as K through eight, and now my recent experience as a high school uh, English teacher. But what I found is is that the quality of the sources my students were using were degrading. You know, there, uh, and I found that shockingly, you know, uh, high schools are tearing down their libraries, closing their libraries, and uh, kids are just left to Googling. And of course, there's different ways we can search, you know, different types of understanding how to put in the nomenclature and using synonyms and things like that. But, um, you know, we still need access to databases, ProQuest, Digital Dissertations, EBSCO, which stands for the Elton B. Stevenson Company Database, uh, ERIC, not named after me, but it was started by the United States government for research uh, information. But uh, not only do we need to give our kids access to that, they do need access to the, the Internet and websites and things like that. But what they don't understand in many cases is they don't understand the biases that are uh, you know, right behind you know, any of these blogs or corporations with the algorithms that they control so uh, that was part of it mm -hmm. the other part of the coin was uh, going through my own social networks I noticed somebody had posted something they might have uh, forwarded something for a candidate that they wanted to see reelected but it ended up being information that was five years old or six years old and they weren't aware of the date because they didn't inspect the information uh, they didn't, um, you know, basically vet the information. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, if these are people that I respect, some people in my own network. So that was, that was it right there. Mm -hmm. You know, that in the 2020 election, misinformation, uh, misinformation associated with the pandemic, uh, maybe civil unrest across the country, and, and just a general... Uh, waning of civil discourse from civil to rude because somewhere along the line people have been given permission to just say rude things to each other you know colorful metaphors I don't know who gave people permission to do this maybe it's for ratings maybe you think you can win an argument but <clears throat> the truth of the matter is most people win arguments based on what we call confirmation bias in their head they uh, search for the first piece of information that c confirms their own bias, and they use that to win an argument maybe in their head, but it may not be valid information. Mm -hmm. So, And then we have other personal biases. Uh, so that's how I got into the book, but I didn't want the book to be about our personal biases first and foremost. I wanted the book to be about the biases that surround all of us that we should all be aware of regardless of what our personal biases are. But certainly the book and my website, you can test what your personal biases are. You can find out by answering seven questions if you go out to bias.handbook.com forward slash tools and scroll down, you can take the seven question bias, personal bias assessment. Mm -hmm. And that will tell you how your inner circle affects your ability to interact with information. So that's how yeah. I got into it, Chris. Wow. I had to uh, I had to take my journalism background. I have a master's in journalism from Michigan State University, 1995. And then I went okay. to the director of the School of Journalism, and I said, uh, you know, Dr. Voss, will you write the foreword to the book? And he agreed. And, uh, you know, he set the tone for what's happening. We, we all need an inner circle because there's so much information out there. We don't have time to vet it all. But we need to ask ourselves, do we have personal biases? Does anybody in our inner circle have personal biases? And I wanted the book to be short, only 57 pages with just a one-page form where you can look at any piece of information and assess for the biases. And that took a long time to conceptualize what that might look like. Um, but thanks to my editor, Sherry Wexler, thanks to my amazing illustrator, Gail Gorski, who hand cuts everything out of paper, um, I think we accomplished uh, the job. No, those uh, illustrations, yeah, th they were beautiful. And that was all just, like, cut paper? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know what? Gail Gorski is an amazing artist. Um, she sources paper from all over the world. Uh, this has been a craft, a hobby of hers for years of cutting paper to make it look realistic, you know, whether it's an animal or a person 
or a scene in a room. Um, and so she cuts the paper in such a way. Mm -hmm. Then she arranges it, and she decides on shadowing. And uh, if she was here, I'm sure she'd give you some more tips on that. Uh, but she shines a light on it. She stands on a chair, takes the picture, and there's a little bit of a 3D effect uh, to it. And um, But they're very engaging. And mm -hmm. I think that she really, uh, you know, she, she came along for the ride for our dedication to civil discourse. And uh, she, I think she created some just amazing images that are very relevant. No, it, yeah. they do look very, very nice. And I would not have guessed that that was paper. Yeah, I, no, exactly. <laughs> she says, um, I've showed to my students, she's got a bulldog uh, holding a magnifying glass on page 19. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think you'll agree, Chris, that looks 100% like a real bulldog. Yeah. <laughs> no, it does. Yeah. Yeah, all on a paper. So I, I, yeah, I can't get get over it either. Beautiful, uh, but very fortunate to have Gail, um, and uh, she uh, illustrated an earlier book called Ethan's Healthy Mind Express. I started a nonprofit in Michigan in 2019 mm -hmm. uh, that we are using uh, for children that have um, what we call neurodiversity. We don't know why they're neurodiverse, but they think differently. And uh, I named the organization after my son, Ethan. Uh, and, um, you know, we're currently using that for uh, our, the book effort for a nonprofit um, and just spreading the word about um, you know, autism, about the spectrum, the different ranges that affect uh, children uh, as well as adults. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but we just thought that uh, publishing the book under the Healthy Mind Express uh, imprint, which I started, uh, was a good way to go because of it's, you know, I think we all owe our part to help people understand information because no matter what our education level is, information can outsmart anyone. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Information can outsmart anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because it depends on what's baked into it. And uh, so... I immediately, you know, decide, you know, thought, well, where do I want to begin this book? And basically in the first chapter, we talk about critical thinking, which uh, some people haven't been exposed to as a concept, uh, and or people simply haven't done in a long, long time because we get so caught up in our fast-paced world that we oh, yeah. forget to take the time. Very you fast, <laughs> yeah. So we're all guilty of hasty generalization, including myself, and uh, which is a fallacy, um, whether you uh, spread it or uh, purposely, um, you know, produce a fallacy. And there's, we, we talk about at least ten of them in the book. Um, but yeah, the um, critical thinking was a key factor in just re-explaining to people. And quite frankly, Chris, not everybody, you know, wants to learn how to vet information. You know, we don't. It's not something that's on the top of our mind. We have other things that we're doing. We assume we're interacting with information in a prudent and positive fashion. Some people forget that we should never use information to hurt people. We should only use information to help people. You know, and that's where that civil discourse comes into play. Mm -hmm. um, so the book starts off with critical thinking. And then, um, since, as I said earlier, since I was a teacher for many years, I had determined that based on the way that the internet was developing and my interactions with inter, uh, the information and with my students, I discovered that there are seven sources of all information, no matter what format it comes your way. Mm -hmm. It could be a podcast, a video, it could be a radio, television show, newsletter, uh, yeah. TikTok. Uh, and the, so the seven sources are academic, hidden agenda, for-profit, non-profit, watchdog groups, which are like non-profits, but I just separated them out a little bit because uh -huh. they have a slightly different purpose. They're watching over everybody. And the government. Government publishes a lot of information, and then we have individuals like you and I. So yeah. any piece of information that we get, the first thing we want to do is categorize it. You know, what out of those seven sources of potential biases, which one does it fall on, under? And it may be one or two. Somebody may be an individual mm -hmm. representing a for-profit. So it depends on how the information is phrased. Mm -hmm. So, but, 
and then I ask my students, and I don't have any scientific, uh, you know, uh, peer-reviewed study on this, but mm-hmm. out of all those seven sources, and we think of the internet, <clears throat> which one is likely to publish the most amount of information? That's a, I was actually <laughs> just about to ask you something like that. If, mm-hmm. um, I mean, to answer your question, yeah. I would, I would say maybe. Um, I, boy, I mean, I think the government publishes a lot. Yeah, you but... know, it's it's interesting, I, and, and you know, if we have any schools out there, uh, let me know. Okay, uh, <laughs> I know the uh, University of Michigan has a school of information, uh, and uh, I plan on um, working with them in the near future. But oh, very cool. But but the um, I I immediately think for profit. So I think because we live in a for-profit world that when we think of the Internet, but then I also have to think maybe individuals by now because everybody's doing a blog, everybody's on social media, yes, right? Uh, but the government, you know, uh, certainly I think that could be in the top uh, three mm-hmm. uh, as well as, you know, if we look at academic and the peer-reviewed publications and all those things, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so forth. So, um, but... You know, when you get a piece of information, if you're going to share it with your network, um, you need to put it through some tests. And so the book goes through how you can quickly test just by looking at it without even doing any further research on a piece of information. Uh, One quick tip is that um, if you see a piece of information and there's no other source in it, no citation, no attribution, uh, it's written in what we call an idiosyncratic fashion. It's just the person's opinion, mm-hmm. right? Depending upon what the topic is, right? Uh, but if you see any piece that has citations and does say according to, even if it's from an individual, it's more homogeneous. And thus, uh, for the fact that it's using other sources, we, we say it's a little less biased than a source that's just an editorial. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, the book includes another engaging way uh, to use the Greek rhetorical styles in that fashion. So, and again, it's so easy. Anybody can learn how to eye uh, or listen to any piece of information to, uh, with the Greek rhetorical styles, as the book will, you know, explains, uh, to also further ascertain the overall level of bias in the published piece of information. With the the Greek rhetorical that you were yep. just referencing, is that is that in regards to the Klemp test that you talked about in the book? Yep, that is the the Klemp test. Those uh, letters stand for acronyms that are associated with um, how something is written, if you will. You know, whether it has emotion uh, or whether it's more intellectually based. Um, you know and it's based on logic and reasoning uh, versus the date of the the piece. And these are all things that we need to inspect and look at if we're going to forward a piece of information and tell our network to believe in it. We need to understand who created it, what purpose does did that information serve, um, you know, and um, how authentic, how objective that piece of information is, and so forth. And the book can show you how to take out your own personal magnifying glass and inspect information uh, so that you can say to yourself, yeah, based on that and my own personal biases, because you're going to score that too in mm-hmm. the form, um, you can feel more confident if you're going to share information. So, um, But it's a process that we all need to be responsible for because we should all be using information to help people not hurt people, and we've seen lately that some people are using information to hurt people. So, and and yeah. U- University of Michigan uh, breaks down information. Um, they've got a nice um, published information on the Ypsilanti District Library site where it says here, according to fake news, lies, and propaganda, how to sort fact from fiction, a University of Michigan library guide. Misinformation is inaccurate information shared without deceptive intentions. That's misinformation, right? And disinformation is false information intended to deceive. And that's according to Kristen 
if I can pronounce her last name correctly, Fontichiro. Um, I like that as far as breaking down misinformation and disinformation. Um, but if we look at the first definition of misinformation, inaccurate information shared without deceptive intentions, um, we have to ask ourselves if we immediately share a piece of information immediately after reading it, um, you know, we could be in a situation where we're deceiving people because we forgot to really properly vet the information. And so the book, Chris, talks about a mental uh, process called cognitive dissonance. And in 1957, Festinger came up with this concept where he basically boiled down the concept of cognitive dissonance, which means that we behave differently than our thoughts. We behave differently mm -hmm. than our thoughts. So uh, the simplest example of that would be we eat a high-fat meal even though we know it's bad for us. And then how do we feel afterwards? Well, we feel, you know, um, I shouldn't have eaten that, but we need to have fun, so it's all about moderation, right? Mm -hmm. And even a doctor will tell you that you can sit down and consume a large amount of fat as long as you go back to living a otherwise healthy lifestyle. But... Um, I would tell that to some of my keto friends on <laughs> <laughs> the keto. Well, I, I found out this term that I really enjoyed. Uh, there's a term that our food should be our medicine. That's an interesting yes. concept, yeah. huh? You know, but it's hard in the, in our busy world. It's hard to prepare all that medicine. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, getting back to cognitive dissonance. So the book on page 50, I, I like in this whole thing, if we're talking about misinformation, disinformation, if if you don't vet an information, if you don't know that you put in the time to critically think about it, um, then why share it, right? So, you know, that could be a further extension of misinformation. But disinformation is you purposely send information that's designed to be deceiving, right? So, uh, but on page 50 of the book, I ask everybody to consider that if you run into a theater and I use, for whatever reason, a local example here in the Michigan area, but you run into any theater. Mm -hmm. If you scream fire and there's no fire, obviously you'd be arrested, and that would be just a crazy, yeah. that'd be a crazy thing to do. I mean, you'd have to really, you know, want to hurt people uh, in that situation. But but then, you know, on the, at the same time, if you're forwarding a piece of information that contains facts and statistics, but you didn't examine the facts or statistics further or look at who created the piece or in what context they created the piece or the conflicts of interest with the person who created the piece or a fallacy that could be baked into the piece uh, or if the piece was simply just sensationalized. You know, if you don't sit down to inspect that, um, you should and you forward it to your network, you should experience a little cognitive dissonance and... Um, I would label that as, you know, a hybrid of misinformation, disinformation. So yeah. we, uh, we simply can't be sharing information unless we've uh, done our due diligence. You know, there was a case recently here in the Detroit area where uh, a man, uh, for whatever reason, hurt his family because he was obsessed with conspiracy theories. I That's think I heard about that. It, yeah, yeah, taking it to an extreme right? Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, there are other people. Uh, this gets into rumors and innuendo, uh, you know, and um, things. There'll always be rumors. There, there'll always, things like that, you know, I understand. And, uh, but it's when we see information that's purposely, you know, published and sent out there that's just laden with the fallacies mm -hmm. that we talk about as well. I, I yep. just saw an example of this, too, uh, on Twitter. Dave, uh, do you know who Dave Smith is? I do not. No. He, he's a—originally, uh, I think he started out as stand-up comedian, uh, podcast host, and now he's um, he's a major candidate, I think, for the Libertarian Party coming up in 2024. Oh, okay. And he shared a piece of information on Twitter— something to do with uh, the events of what's happening in Ukraine right now. Mm -hmm. And then he actually made a tweet that I saw 
just recently, I think yesterday, saying, hey, the tweet that I sent yesterday about this information posted about Ukraine was actually wrong. I apologize for posting it. I should have vetted it before I posted it. And I thought, wow, that's kind of refreshing to have somebody say that, you know, just to take accountability, take accountability. Yeah. I, I feel like, gosh, I don't, I don't really see that too often these days. You know, the CDC did that recently with the pandemic. You know, they, they had indicated that they got some things wrong and I think you're right. I think when they step up to the plate, that's, that's a good thing. Um, and I think, but I think throughout the entire pandemic, throughout the 2020 uh, election, uh, you know, following the election, um, I think there should have been more town halls. Uh, and I think, um, I, you know, I don't know if it's the television stations. Uh, I do know that six entities uh, control about 90% of all the information. We're that was staggering. Exposed to, yeah. 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 And we mentioned that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but... I, I think that when you're talking about people stepping up to the plate saying that they misspost or they misshared, that is, you're, it's good. It's good to hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like I think of that podcaster uh, who recently was brought to trial because he had indicated that um, the the shooting in Pennsylvania, what was the school system there? Um, the that, that it never occurred. He, he simply, so they took him. Oh, Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he finally admitted in court that he, yes, he believed it really happened. It really happened. So, but when you have mm-hmm. a large audience, you know, that's a big responsibility because, uh, you know, people, you know, people, some people can be gullible. Some people, there's a term called sheeple where people just sort of follow along. I've heard that. Yeah, 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 you know. And um, so, and it may align with their biases, you know, Mm -hmm. so then you you follow along even even further. Um, Because, you know, how we, uh, like you said, those artists are producing songs that are going to get them further up in the search engine optimization, right? That's what it's all about, search engine optimization, Mm -hmm. so that people want to, you know, be exposed to the music and want to uh, interact with it and so forth. Um, but so it's the same thing today, you know, with a lot of information. Uh, it's, there could be deceptive trails leading you to it, like clickbait, clickbait. Oh, so yeah. So I wrote a paper in 2018 and I presented it at Oxford University and it was just simply a paper on some possible rules that could be put in place for websites that you know purposely have fake news on them uh, or, or just I, I wrote the paper based on the fact that there could be fake ads not just fake news <laughs> so the, so the paper starts off with fake ads which is clickbait to lead you to a certain other part of the internet or to have you purchase something that you did maybe not didn't intend to purchase in the clickbait yeah i see those all the time yeah. on websites like on the sides and oh, stuff oh yeah 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 you know and then uh you know you're 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 just taken further down you know the internet highway um but so in the 80s and 90s before the internet uh if a newspaper was going to run a um story that looked like or an ad that looked like a story that that's how they did it back then they made ads that looked like stories but they were required to put the word advertisement okay right but since individuals can own websites there's no way to police uh you can't tell everybody to just simply put the word advertisement you know um but you know this dovetails into uh, what recently happened with facebook when we had the whistleblower and she explained that Facebook makes more money on the negative algorithms than the positive algorithms. And so, but, so my paper in 2018, you know, suggested that websites, if they're taking paid ads, they could color the ads differently so that people knew that they were ads versus just something coming up in their feed. Yeah. So they can get an idea, so they can authenticate, imagine that, authenticate the piece of information more than anything else. Um, but... 
you know, none of that legislation is in place. There's no mandate, you know. In the 1980s, Chris, uh, the FCC had a, um, they had a policy, time will be applied to opposing views for local television stations. Oh, is this the fairness doctrine? The, is, well, it's related, yeah. it was related to it. Yeah, really, well, mm -hmm. fairness doctrine has to do with how much information can you take from someone else and use it on your own. You know, and if it's for an academic endeavor, you know, it's paraphrasing and quoting and properly citing your sources. And then, you know, as, a, as an instructor, you know, we have to determine is most of the paper, is, is, uh, is it overly quoted? And there's not enough of the student in the paper or the intellect behind it. But um, when we think of the Fairness Use Act, for in the 1980s, they wanted to literally they wanted people to be able to come on the end of a newscast and give their opinion about the challenging topics of the day. So I'll never forget there was uh, probably in late 70s, early 80s episode of All in the Family with Archie Bunker, who was one of those people from the community who came on at the end of the broadcast. And boy, did he give his opinion, uh, bias as they, they were for a character like Archie. Um, but the FCC eventually got rid of that uh, policy because there's no way that anybody could ever provide enough space for opposing views because there could be not only two sides to a story, four sides, ten sides, there could be 20 sides to a story. We could have 10 people in, in a room together witness something. We could ask them all to write about it, and they might all write something differently of what happened right in front of them. Yeah. But anyways, so time will be provided for opposing view. The television stations couldn't really, you know, they'd have lines of people. Give me a minute and a half. Give me a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. You know, so, but, you know, thankfully we have the internet. Now anybody can publish a blog. Anybody's work can potentially go viral. You can become a sensation on TikTok if, if that's what you want to do. But I'm telling all the people out there, when you're viewing all this material, you know, think about it, understand it, Look at the conflicts of interest uh, that might be associated. So you do need to do some background checking of some of these authors. And understand there could be fake authors out there too. There could be fake websites out there because there's no way to police it all. Yeah. So, But if yeah. you come across a source where you can't identify the individuals who operate it, we call that a hidden agenda, you know, like QAnon. You know, they're not going to mm -hmm. have an 800 number where you can call, I don't think. I have never, mm -hmm. never tested it, but you know we have to understand. Even so, even for my students, you know, I tell them you can't put a source in a paper if we can't identify who owns the website. It might be good information. Mm -hmm. We might be able to look at the root URL of the website, you know, which is the web address, and we might be able to say, oh, that's .edu. That's an educator. Okay, so you can put that it came from, you know, umich.edu or something like that or MSU, since I'm ultimately really a Spartan. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, you know, so, but all of these things, authenticating the information um, and knowing what your personal biases are, uh, too, is very important. Uh, because sometimes we embrace information of what we call the halo effect or affinity bias. Halo bias, affinity bias. That's where... You prefer the company of like-minded people. Oh, you know? okay. Uh, yeah. And then you have the halo where, you know, it, it's not only like-minded people, but you have the same, um, maybe you, you have the same degree as somebody, the same educational level, you drive the same kind of car, mm -hmm. a BMW, a Cadillac, and you only <laughs> listen to people who drive BMWs and Cadillacs. So <laughs> uh, things to think about. Um so an anchoring yeah. bias is when you hold on to the first piece of information that confirms your biases that you use in an argument. So these are, you know, yeah. these are, there's about five of these personal biases, um, and you have to rate that when you inspect the piece for its own biases. Mm -hmm. That anchoring <clears throat> bias, that reminds me of there's a thing in sales where your first, like, initial offer, that's, like, your anchor. So it's some people say that, 
that first initial number for whatever you're uh, trying to purchase is so important because it kind of dictates the rest of the conversation from there. Like for, you know, even like a salary negotiation, you can kind of sell yourself a little short uh, if you throw out a number and your potential employer just says, oh, yeah, we could do that. Makes you kind of think, oh, gosh, they said that so easily. Maybe I could have gotten more money by anchoring it a little bit higher. Well, that's it. <clears throat> they, you know, you should always, I guess, go out, you know, for negotiation is uh, aim high. Yeah. You know, for, <laughs> aim high. you know, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah. you don't want to lowball yourself. Low, you know, yes. For sure. Yes. But, um, yeah, no, the, the information uh, conundrum today um, you know, is that we, we, we all need to use information responsible, I, I like to think, in a prudent way. We need to use information with goodwill. Goodwill. We need to be stewards of the information because it's a, it's a powerful job. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's it, you're, you're making recommendations to people. They may spend time uh, that might be spent time elsewhere in their lives because you gave them a piece of information and now they want to interact with it and they want to learn about it. Uh, and so um, you may not mean to circulate bad information and sometimes it may be impossible 100% uh, of the time. You know, in all fairness, if we look at the journalism industry, Chris, we see that um, reporters can publish stories and when they list the attribution, they sometimes say, according to a well-known source. They don't really list the source, even in some of these journalistic pieces, right? I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, and they're doing it to protect the source. They're doing it to protect the source. Uh, and But we have to trust them that they've done their journalistic due diligence and that they're objective and authentic. And, um, you know, that they've sort of sworn to this journalistic uh, oath to mirror the news, not sensationalize it. And that's why we explain in the book that there were many newspapers across the country years ago, decades ago, that were called the mirror because they wanted to mirror what was happening, not reinvent what was that. But Chris, you and I, growing up here in the Detroit area, we've experienced this sensationalism with local journalists. I think of at Channel 7 WXYZ, Bill Bonds was an anchor in the 70s and 80s. Um, at least he was during my, my time. I was going to say, <laughs> and it he, sounds familiar, but yeah, I... It, well, no, no. And, but, and so, yeah, if you don't know, but he used to sensationalize the news. But ABC kept him because he was such a, 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 he had a big following, you know, an audience that loved him. He's very charismatic. And in many cases, he spoke the truth, but he didn't always say that I'm now delivering an editorial versus I'm now delivering the news, you know. So, um, and, uh, and he also starred in the uh, movie Planet of the Apes. He was, uh, oh, wow. they, they picked him because he was a well-known, he was in the national news before he came to Detroit. Okay. He's probably based out in L.A., and, uh, and he said, I'm Bill Bonds reporting the apes have escaped <laughs> or some, something along those lines in the very classic movie, Planet wow. of the Apes. Yeah. Wow. Um, but um, so with all information, um, you know, we have a big responsibility today, big mm -hmm. responsibility. Uh, and um, because, you know, our mental health is at, at stake. We could f be following the wrong cause if we don't take the time to vet the information. Um, I remember you mentioned that in the book, too, about following. Yeah, following cause. false causes. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got cognitive dissonance, which is, mm -hmm. a, a, you know, we just talked about earlier as far as, you know, how these, um, mm -hmm. you know, interactions with information can affect people. And then we've seen these cases where people embrace these conspiracy theories and then they become, you know, mentally anguished, you know, over it, too. So... But yeah, the book talks about um, you know misinformation or disinformation, for that matter. Obviously, can lead you to follow a false cause, mm -hmm. feeling foolish, can tarnish your credibility, attract the wrong people, uh, create undue stress, compromise your values, harm your mental 
health. Mm. Uh, that's what's at stake. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a that's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of risk out there when it yeah. comes to information. So, um, but this fifty-seven page book, uh, you can get right at the uh, heart of the matter. Sherry Wexler wanted to make sure that the book was arranged like a handbook that you can refer to it often, mm-hmm. uh, and and go to the chapters uh, that you need to go to if you're evaluating. You know, uh, the different pieces, the book will help you understand, um, you know, all of the the demarcations you need to look at. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it doesn't have to be a long process. And, you know, obviously, you know, you've already got news sources. People already have news sources where they get their information. But uh, all information can be tainted. We need to understand that, you know, the news industry, we need to understand individuals, uh, all of the seven, the seven sources, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. make wise decisions, um, uh, with the information. So going back to something you had said <clears throat> with the mirroring, it was mirroring and versus a pin, like opinion or editorializing, editorializing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know what, if we just look at the definition of bias, for example, mm-hmm. You know, uh, what is bias? Bias is, um, when it, bias for, for individuals is holding on to information that hasn't necessarily been validated. It hasn't been validated. It's just a, a pre-existing thought about something without any firm uh, trail of evidence that, you know, and our biases begin from the minute we're born. We're born into a family with biases. Our faith, we're born into our community, our schools, uh, and then that goes out to the media. That affects affects who we are and uh, so forth. Um, so when you, when we think of the bias, okay, are you making good decisions with information based on that you've vetted the information and understand the biases, uh, or are you exemplifying a bias, haste make, makes waste, not doing the, taking the time needed, right, to validate the information. Um, so, so a bias um, is either based on good information uh, or bad information. So, um, you know, and, 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 it's okay. We all have our opinions on how to how our country should be run. We all have opinions on where our tax dollars should go to. Uh, you know, nobody's necessarily right or wrong. We, you know, spend more money, don't spend more money, right? Um, so, but there is a point where you know that the information may not be good enough to circulate, uh, and the book can help you determine that help you score that you know what's tough sometimes i and i like you use this example in the book about one study will tell you that hey this diet is not good and then another study will come come out and say actually this diet does have some benefits some merit and i at that point it's almost like I, I guess maybe I should try it for myself and see the effects it has personally on me, and maybe it might not work. So then maybe yeah. I just ditch it for another diet. Well, that's something. it. I mean, we live in a world. It's not a black and white world. There's gray areas. You know, when we look at these studies about diets and things, we need to scrutinize them. We need to inspect them. We need to vet them um, and understand that... Um, what organization created the study? Uh, if, 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 if they're selling the product and they did the study, that's a conflict of interest, right? <laughs> so, you know, or, you know, yeah. if, if a corporation does their own internal research, you know, it can be valid information, but it, it's, there's definitely a conflict of interest. If they hire an outside organization mm. to do the study, that's less biased, you think, but then, you know, they are being paid to do it. Mm-hmm. So this is, but, uh, you know, then, how was the study conducted? You know, was it rigorous? 
Um, Was there a trial? Um, Did they operationalize the information correctly? Did they tie it to current literature? Did the peer-reviewed publications that publish the information work with a variety of different authors? Or do they tend to be a little bit more idiosyncratic and work with authors that they know nepotism and cronyism? you know, can be baked into these publications too. But mm-hmm. when it comes to studies, if that's all we have, and because studies are time-consuming and studies cost a lot of money, oh, yeah. then, you know, we can hope that we can draw some good information out of any study, but we still have to make sure that we knew if there were conflicts of interest in the study and so forth. So, and you know, we're not talking about that everybody has to have a doctorate degree in order to analyze a peer reviewed (laughs) article. But, but if you use the bias assessment form in the book, for example, that can, you, you can tell, um, you know, you can look at the sources of any peer reviewed article and see, do they tend to publish only people that they're familiar with? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but Mm -hmm. you know, how come they don't give other people a chance to get published too? Mm -hmm. the newer, newer people that might have good information and good studies. Yeah, you know, so, but it's um, you know, all of this is is all part of, again, saying to yourself that I'm I've got to do a better job of inspecting information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, good point. You know, the the studies, yeah, oatmeal is good for you one day, but if yeah. you eat too too much of it, it it could uh, you could gain weight. Yeah. A- absolutely, yeah. You know, even with the whole cholesterol. Um, you know, everybody went on a low-fat diet, low cholesterol, um, and then they came out with another study. I, you know, and this is erroneous. I can't validate this, but I thought I heard. See, I'm I'm authenticating my message here. Yeah, I thought I, like I heard that uh, there's an ingredient in egg yolk that lowers your cholesterol. So that's a wow. you know that's a conundrum. <laughs> yeah, there's an ingredient inside of the cholesterol that lowers your cholesterol. So, um, but you know, it, it's all about. It, for diets, getting back to which diet is good, you know, it is about moderation. We know that the diet industry is huge, vitamins, minerals, other elixirs, Massive, yeah. you know, and all these uh, different, um, you know, over-the-counter, you know, pills to lose weight. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, there was the um, the company who uh, makes their product out of jellyfish for to, for memory. I forgot the name of the product. Oh, yeah. I think I I've need heard to take their like product. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but they, and I don't, we don't have to mention names. You could, but uh, initially they were sued because they couldn't really stand behind the research on whether or not the jellyfish ingredient uh, helps people with their memories. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, but um, the bottom line is, is that, um, you know, maybe there is valid information to say that it, it can help. Maybe it's not, but we need to look who created the study and uh, if anybody else has duplicated that study to see if the results were similar. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. that's another another thing. Um, but these studies are very expensive. Anything, you know, a team of researchers, you, know, you oh, yeah. need qualified people that can write the material and understand the results too. You know, so. I, I used to work in a research lab actually. So yeah, it's... It adds up yeah. quickly. No, it, it really yeah. does. And uh, so, um, but, you know, there's information. I think right now, uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of information on uh, in the astronomy world that uh, because of the Webb telescope that was launched, that's, you know, a million miles, the, the unprecedented photos of our, uh, the entire, our galaxy and beyond, uh, that's breaking all sorts of rules uh, so I bet you the academic world, uh, you know, is publishing a lot of papers, uh, turning it upside down right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, on all these theories yeah. that are out there. Oh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's always, you know, uh, something out there. But, you know, when we were growing up, when I was growing up, we took more time to even vet the journalistic sources. Um, you know, there were few, fewer sources than there are today. But we had to jump in our car and get a newspaper or we had to have it delivered. And so already we've taken more time to interact. So if we took the time back then, just use that time today when you're on the Internet to vet the information because you don't have to get in your car to find it, mm-hmm. right? Take that time and switch it 
to saying, hey, do I want to look at other outliers, other places I can go to validate this information? And the book shows mm-hmm. you how to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one, one final thing. Um, are your plans after this book, do you see another book in your future regarding this kind of same topic? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to work with other um, institutions to help students, researchers, uh, people all over uh, understand the best ways to investigate information. So in my head, I'm thinking I'd rather put in the time to you know work with schools to be available to them uh, and uh, there's there's a lot of there's other nonprofit initiatives uh, to help people debunk misinformation and uh, so you know right now uh, that's where I see putting my time in after after the book I am speaking locally uh, here in Ann Arbor on October 25th at six o'clock at the Mallets Creek Library um, and I will be presenting in St. Louis a day before uh, November. Uh, 11th, which is a November 12th, which is a Saturday, I'll be presenting to the National Education Association of High School Journalists uh, portion of the book. And uh, so the word is spreading. It's a challenge with a uh, micro publisher that I am, which is self-published. But, you know, thankfully, we won a 2022 Nautilus Book Award Silver Medallion. I remember uh, you telling me that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's a book award that's been out for over twenty-two years, and uh, some heavy hitters have, uh, you know, also earned a, a silver or a gold. We're we're very thrilled to be among them, with my team. Uh, we also just won an, a twenty twenty-two silver medallion from Reader's Favorite, which is another wow. big uh, website that reviews books on an annual basis. And uh, even selected Jim Carrey one year as a as a prize winner on their site. Very cool. Uh, and then I recently became a 2022 Henry Ford Innovation Nation first place teacher for my information bias studies associated with this book. Um, and uh, so it's good to get recognition there. But it's a topic that I, I think goes beyond my recognition, obviously. It goes way into, I want everybody to be recognized as good stewards of information. And I hope to help everybody, whether it's one person at a time. Well, that that's awesome, yeah. Eric. Uh, congratulations on those awards. Um, that is very, very cool. Very, you, very Chris. impressive. Appreciate, appreciate that. Yeah, um, it's it doesn't happen, you know, too often. So um, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to quit well, I'm ahead in that respect, but I'm going to put the time needed into helping everybody do a much better job interacting with information. That's awesome. Um, Eric, where uh, where can people find the book? Where can people find you? I know you mentioned a website earlier. Yeah. You can go to biashandbook.com. You can always email me at my personal email address, which is profbean at gmail.com. Uh, you can buy the book on Amazon as a paperback. Uh, it's also available uh, in hardcover through Barnes & Noble. Libraries can get it through uh, Baker & Taylor Distributor as well as Ingram. Any retailer can get the book. Uh, Walmart can get the book. Target can get the book if they just order it through um, Ingram and make it available to their customers. Uh, you get this in the hands. You know, in the 2022 Nautilus Book Award, we won for young adult nonfiction. And so, you know, as a nonprofit effort, this is a perfect book for any high school student anywhere in the country to gravitate towards before they set out there into college and, and the uh, real world um, to have themselves armed. Nice. Yeah. I will include uh, links to the, the, in the description of the video that you just mentioned. Um, and are you also, are you on any social media that you want yeah, people to so follow you on? You, on in, in Facebook, you can just type in bias uh, is all around you and you'll get to our website. Cool. Feel free to follow us there. I welcome anybody that wants to leave a review of the book 
because as an independent publisher, you know, we need those reviews. We're a nonprofit effort. All the money earned goes towards a great cause. So, um, you know, please feel free. The book's also available as an audio book for as cheap as $6. Uh, it's That's a 72-minute awesome. unabridged edition of the book on audio. So you can oh, even listen cool. to it in the car. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Audiobook is huge these days. Absolutely. So, yeah. Chris, thank you so much to be here uh, and, and to do this recording with you. I'm very uh, grateful and pleased, and I can't wait to uh, you know listen to the end result. <laughs> no, yeah. thank you very much, Eric. Uh, I really appreciate you, appreciate you coming down here, taking the time to do this. Um, and I enjoyed your book. I learned a lot from it. I hope to now go out into the world and use the techniques that uh, you had illustrated in the book. So thank you. And for everybody out there, thank you for listening. My name is Chris. This has been Cheetash. Take care, everybody.